Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 11 of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. I'm Mike Long, a.k.a. Bolt from the Blue, and this was Match Day 5 in the English Premiership. Manchester City were facing Norwich City, a team which hitherto had conceded the most goals in the league, had two goalkeepers on the bench to help make up the numbers of their depleted squad, and this was a squad that allegedly had 11 key players missing through injury. This game was widely regarded to yield a cricket score for the Blues by almost every pundit out there. So, of course, we messed it up. Typical. With me on this solemn occasion, I have, as usual, two distinguished guests to help me perform this post-mortem. First of all, City Matters Committee member and King of the Kipax writer, Available to you on Twitter at PresswitchBlue, the lovely Colin Savage. We also have City content creator and producer of City Fan TV on YouTube, Mr. Ray Bubbles. On Twitter at ManCity underscore Ray. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Fark Life. Here we go. Confidence is a preference for the habitual voyeur of what is known as A morning suit can be avoided if you take a route straight through what is known as John's got Brewers through, he gets intimidated by the dirty pigeons They love a bit of him Who's that gut lord marching? You should cut down on your pork life mate, get some exercise Stop all the clocks, cut off the telephone, prevent the dog from barking with a juicy bone, silence the pianos and with muffled drum, bring out the coffin, let the mourners come. The stars are not wanted now, put out every one, pack up the moon and dismantle the sun, pour away the ocean and sweep up the wood, for nothing now can ever come to any good. Oh my goodness, Norwich City 3, Manchester City 2. Good evening, Mr. Savage, how are you? Well, I'm a bit miserable actually. Um, obviously, apart from City, all my teams have let me down. I've just... Not long since one finished watching the Pittsburgh Steelers, who managed to screw up almost a winning position in their game, uh, and they got absolutely thumped 33-3 at New England. 
last week. I watched baseball support the Arizona Diamondbacks. They were on the verge of a wild card place in the World Series. And they managed with uh, five losses on the run. I think it's five at the moment to screw that one up. City was just cherry on the Bakewell tart. Well, let's uh, check with Ray and see how he's doing. Ray, how are you, mate? Hey, talking of tarts, here I am. I'm not doing too bad. I was in Derbyshire today, actually. I'm all right after, obviously, a long day, long trip down to Norwich. I drove down with my eldest lad and uh, poor boy. You know, he's never been uh, to a City game and seen City lose until yesterday. Well, guys, before this game, Mr. Fark, who is the manager of Norwich, said that this game was going to be like, and I quote, scaling Everest with no tools. Norwich had uh, conceded nine goals going into this game and had allowed 54 shots on their goal before this game. But uh, guys, this was really the perfect storm, the perfect recipe for a Man City loss. A head-scratching lineup from Pep, check. An away team set up deep, solid, organised and narrow, check. A team backed by a passionate mass of boisterous support, check. A team that clinically dispatches its very few chances, check. An occasion when City are both largely unpenetrative up front and guilty of appalling individual errors at the back. And uh, this time there was no sense that we had been cheated by the referee or tripped up by luck or anything like that. We were just outplayed by a team who were better than us on the day. Colin, ain't that true? Uh, yeah. You know, for once, we're not talking about VAR or, you know, refereeing decisions. It, it was just a, a perfect storm, really, wasn't it? Where we weren't, we certainly weren't at our best. And I don't think the team selection was the, the right one, but it's easy to say in hindsight, isn't it? But I think people were saying that ahead. Norwich played absolutely out of their skins, and you've got to give them a load of credit because they were absolutely superb. We gifted them, really, we gifted them the goals to, to a large degree, to a greater or lesser degree. Uh, and we'll talk about that as we go through, no doubt. And uh, But, but yeah, they played very well. They, they gave their all. They closed us down. They didn't let us settle. They, they hassled and harried us, and um, they got their reward. And it was interesting, actually, looking at the... Just before we, we came on, I was looking at um, something which claimed that the expected goals were, was something like 1.75 to Norwich and 2.3 to us. Now, yeah, I'm a bit dubious about expected goals because Norwich basically had two tappings into a, a virtually empty net. So how you can say that wasn't two expected goals is a bit beyond me, but th- that's what the stats seem to say. So, um, you know, it, it could have been a draw. We could have won it. But we weren't really good enough to take anything from that game. We didn't deserve to take anything from that game. Ray, here's a stat for you. Up to Joe. Eight of the last nine goals that Manchester City have conceded in the Premier League have come via set pieces with four of those from corners. What do you think of that one? It doesn't surprise me. We're not very good at corners, not very good at defending from corners. Um, if you can, I mean, this, this uh, obviously we'll, we might talk through some of the goals, but McLean, uh, who scored um, their first goal, is, is six foot tall, if I'm right. Lucas Moura uh, scored for Spurs against us a couple of weeks back, or three weeks back. He's five foot eight and a half, and he's winning uh, headers on corners. Spurs in the Champions League last season. Scored from a corner. Didn't Liverpool score in the um, from a corner in the Community Shield? Someone told me today. <laughs> Can't remember that far back. So we have a problem from set pieces, especially corners. Uh, I, I've said it many times. I don't like the zonal marking. We must have had four or five men near that front post, that front post area, within a few yards of each other. 
and one player from the opposition comes, steals in, steals a match on us and um, leaps higher than everybody else, gets his head to the ball and scores a goal. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's what Pep wants to stick with and he must think it's uh, better than man-marking or, or whatever, or a mix of the two. I don't know. It, it's, for me, it's certainly not working um, the way it should be working. Yeah, I had a good look at that corner. We know, we, well, we're from the Brighton game at the end of last season, we know we're vulnerable at the near post. And I'm kind of a bit split on, I, I take what Ray says, because with zonal marking, the risk is you've got the attacker who's running in from deep uh, and he's got a march on you. I, I can kind of see that in terms of zonal marking. That's one of the dangers. But when you look at our, how we were set up for that corner, and I spent about 10 minutes looking at this, we've got a kind of the... The front post. I'm looking around the six-yard box. We've got Raheem Sterling at the kind of at the front. Then Carl Walker, Otamendi, John Stones, and Zinchenko at the back. So we've got a line of five players across the six-yard box, and we've got Rodri, who's kind of between the first two players, Sterling and Walker, and he's set back a bit. But basically, the guy who's defending the near post, where we've got the vulnerability that we know about, is our smallest player. Now, I'm sorry, but you know. Pep is not immune from criticism by any stretch of the imagination. And that, to me, is absolutely stupid because Sterling was very, very was beaten very easily in the air because A, is a lot smaller than the guy coming in and B, the guy coming in has got the run on him so he's got a little bit of momentum to get off the ground whereas Sterling is, is static or moving slightly backwards. But for me, say zonal marking, man marking, they've all got the pros and cons, but you, we've absolutely got to have someone right at that near post. Because we're vulnerable there. We've got to have someone stood inside that near post on the goal line who can see what's coming. At least be there to defend the ball if the attacker does get ahead on it. And with a bit of height as well. Yes, exactly. Now, uh, we'll, let's uh, backtrack just a little bit. We'll get to that goal again. Last season, we didn't lose our first Premier League uh, game until December. And uh, we've now conceded seven goals and five this season. It took 17 matches to get to that tally last season. Here's the opening question question for Ray. Now let's talk about that lineup. Now what on earth, Ray, was Kevin De Bruyne doing scratching his backside on the bench? I wish I could tell you. I honestly don't have a clue. Not a Scooby-Doo. Uh, why one of the best players in the world would start on the bench? Uh, look, we're just going to speculate, but did we take this game too easily? I mean, Norwich had let 10 league goals in before we played them. Um, getting battered at Liverpool, you know, letting three in uh, against Chelsea, even Newcastle scored against them. So, you know, did we think we're going to have a lot of chances we're going to score goals? Um, lots of them. Was Kevin tired from playing for Belgium? If he was tired, then he shouldn't have been on the bench. I, was he slightly injured? I, we have no idea. We're, it's only guesswork. But uh, fans say the same thing. Start with your best team. And if you want to rest players after an hour, if you're three up, do that, but I, I I cannot come up with come up with any single um, sensible explanation as to why Kevin De Bruyne was uh, on the bench. But it's more than that, isn't it? Because Gundogan and Silva in David Silva in midfield is not a very creative combination. It's, and it's not. But you've got Mares who is on fire this season, sat on the bench. Bernardo Silva, who really hasn't done very much at all, but you'd want him in midfield rather than stuck out on the wing. Uh, so, I, you know, I struggle to kind of make sense of that lineup. I know we're playing, obviously, on uh, Wednesday, aren't we, in uh, yeah. in Kharkiv. But, but I but, struggle to make sense of that 
lineup? For me, I would have had Maris starting instead of Bernardo. Bernardo, even though he was our player of the season last season, even though he was the, the man of the um, tournament for the Nations League finals, he hasn't done it for me yet this season. Mares against West Ham, involved in five goals. Uh, uh, against Brighton, he did uh, more than all right. Again, I think it was harsh to drop him. And I would have had KDB all day long. I, I've, I've personally been saying this for um, since uh, probably beginning of last season. We can't have David Silver and um, Ilke Gundogan playing together. There's no pace, there's no legs there. I'm not sure how much height there is. You can play anybody with KDB, whether it's Gundogan, whether it's uh, David Silva, whether it's Uncle Tom Cobbler. You can play anybody. You simply cannot play Ilke and David together and expect to get away with it. Uh, I've said, I said for many, many months, Gundogan is, is a great player when he's got time to deliver. When he's not got time and space, he's bang average and uh, he certainly can't chase back either. So playing those two, as I said, you don't get the pace, you don't get the legs, you don't get sometimes enough physicality. And if KDB's fit, you've just got to play him. So personally, I don't like to criticise Pep because uh, I think, who am I to criticise Pep? But on this occasion, I would have had Mares, I'd have had KDB, I'd have left Bernardo on the bench and I would have left Ilke Gundogan on the bench as well. Yeah, that was you've yeah. actually just anticipated my question because I was going to ask that number eight pairing of David Silva and uh, Gundogan, has that ever worked in anyone's, no. in anyone's memory when we needed it to? The other thing was the centre-back pairing. I was expecting Fernandinho. Here's an interesting little uh, fact. Outfield Manchester City players have made 10 errors leading direct goals in the Premier League since Pep Guardiola took charge. Nicholas Otamendi, five. John Stones, three. Everyone else combined, two. So uh, that's why I was expecting Fernandinho. A central defensive combination of a fairly rusty uh, John Stones and Nicholas Otamendi. Not going to do it, Ray. When Laporte was partnering Otamendi from the start of the season, nobody complained about Otamendi. I can't remember anybody having a pop at the general, you know, beating West Ham 5-0. Okay, Spurs got lucky, uh, winning our other games. Nobody was complaining at all. We have one poor performance all over the park and people are on looking for a a scapegoat. Every game where we don't get a result, People go out looking for who's escaped well this time. But, yeah, but we're, and, we're not attacking but, John Stones uh, particularly, Ray. It's just that partnership, just like the partnership with Silva and Gundogan. I, I, I agree with Ray. We've seen that partnership before. I think they played us quite a lot in the uh, hundred point season, didn't they? Didn't have a chance to check the check the figures. <laughs> but no, um, Colin, uh, they've played together four times in twenty months, apparently. Oh, right. 20 months. They're seasoned professionals. I mean, Stones, you expect to be a bit rusty. And Ottomendi is Ottomendi. You know what you're getting with the general. There was always a mistake in him. And we've kind of come to accept that. There's always a rash moment. There's always a, you know, diving into the back of someone. Yeah, Asam from the 93.20 pod posted on Twitter that sometimes you get Carlos Puyol and sometimes you get Richard Dunn. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, but most of the time, you see Puyol. Most of the time, Otamendi is Puyol. But there's no doubt that he uh, he played the key role in that third goal. Well, I mean, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a, in a few minutes. But I think we, we were poor all over the field. I mean, the, the only ones to come out of it with half a fistful of credit is maybe Rodri to a degree. But even then, he was. there were a couple of things he did which led to mi- mistakes and led to goals. 
And um, maybe Aguero. He missed a few as well. He missed a couple of headers and a shot late on. So so I don't think anyone comes out of that uh, unscathed or uncriticisable, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah. yeah, Ray, Norwich, just when, when, when you watched the beginning of the game, I mean, they were bright yellowed mustard in that first half. <laughs> quick, quick and zippy interplay, rugged and defensive responsibility right through the side. Now, Colin has effectively already described and, and discussed the first goal by McLean on 18 minutes. But I want to talk about first a bit about the, the 17 minutes leading up to McLean's goal. Did you see it coming? Um, the first two or three minutes, I thought we came out quite brightly. Could you see it coming? I'm, I wouldn't say that, but it's really hard to, to really put your finger on it. I, I, you could see the... The, the slop, some sloppiness, some lackadaisicalness that we've had, I think, through many games. Uh, and we've got by. I think against Bournemouth, I saw it, we got by. Uh, against West Ham, even though we beat them 5 0, we weren't anything, you know, better than three out of five stars. So, those other teams generally haven't been willing to take us on. That's, that's definitely the case. Uh, and Norwich were. I mean, the, the, the manager said the day before in his press conference, if you sit back, basically, you'll get beat. They'll find a way to get to, to, to do so. You've got to play to your strengths. And their strengths were, uh, are attacking. That's what they did in the, in the championship. Whether it was coming or not, I don't know. I mean, obviously, when they have a corner, we do start to worry because we know uh, of our vulnerability at corners. So as soon as they have the corner, as I said, you, you are concerned more than somewhat. Um, whether it was coming, I don't know if you guys have a different opinion to me, but I didn't see it. It's one of those, you think City will suddenly click into gear, which is what we do. Score a goal or early in the first half, score a goal just before halftime, and the game's put to bed. And we were just waiting for, for us to click that switch, turn on the over uh, afterburners for a, a few passes, score the goal, and, and then just carry on normal uh, services resumed. And we just... Amble to a two or three nil win. That's what I think a lot of the fans were expecting. It certainly didn't happen. Well, ask uh, Colin to jump in there. What was your impression of that um, t- period before the first goal? Well, um, I, d- I tend to agree with Ray. I mean, we've seen we've seen this before, but not just this, particularly this season. I think Spurs was the only game where we actually played quite well for for virtually all the game. So you know, as Ray rightly said, we we saw it at West Ham, we saw it at Bournemouth. We saw it against Brighton a, a little bit. We, we just went firing on all cylinders. And um, so that in itself didn't particularly worry me because, you know, if you get to half time or, or Pep will sort it out or we'll grab a goal somehow, even though we're not playing very well. But there's always a threat with Norwich because they're very dangerous on the break. And, and Timo Puki is obviously a, a player who you've got to be wary of. Still didn't particularly, like Ray, still didn't particularly see it coming until that corner. But then, of course, as soon as the opponents get a corner, and, and I know we try not to give away corners for that very reason, then you start getting a bit nervous. And of course, once you get the first, then you think, well, City will it'll spark, spark us into life. But um, it just didn't, did it? Ray, talk to us about what happened 10 minutes later, because just when we were getting used to the idea, Todd Cantwell, classic counter-attack. Tell us about that one. Well, I'll tell you about Todd Cantwell. First, he's a, a local lad from, um, I think you pronounce it Deerham, not about 10, 10 or 15 miles from um, Norwich. And I, I, actually, they're very good at that. They've got, I think, three or four kids from the local area, local catchment area. In their team, I'm not sure there were, uh, that many were playing. I think there were, uh, a couple of them were injured. That move started probably uh, in, in their 
in their um, in the last third on their side. Well, I think, the, if, if I remember correctly, the ball was flicked over Rodri's head and they, they actually broke away. And it was like, well, they've got a lot of guys uh, surging forward. The ball was passed to Puki. Stones lifted his hand up, asking for an offside, not realising that Walker was at least five yards behind him, playing them onside. Um, and it, it was just, it felt like a shambles, to be honest. Rodri... Yeah. Amble back. Um, personally, I think you, you know you've got to give it everything to get back. You've got to you know because you don't know what's going to happen. The goalkeeper might save it, uh, push it back into the danger zone, and you want to be there to help out. You don't just jog back. Um, for me, it looked like he was going to shoot. He dragged Otamendi across there. Otamendi had to come to try and block him, uh, and Campbell was uh, zipping through on the left, totally free and unmarked. Nobody was going to get anywhere near him, um, and he uh, Puki put. Uh, a really good ball into Cantwell's path and he slotted it home. Um, Edison had no chance whatsoever, but for me, that whole move started with that flick over, I think, as I said, Rodri's head. Um, and yeah, it was. in all honesty, it was. in all honesty, that's where you want Fernandinho just to grab the player, take the yellow card, drag him back, pull his shirt, take the yellow card. I think Fernandinho would have known what to do in that situation. And that situation was... Uh, a subtle or not so subtle uh, tug of the shirt, um, or, or you know, grab of the opponent, take the yellow card, let us uh, reconfigure ourselves and get our defenders back. I just think it was a, um, a poor mistake from on Rodri's part. And as I said, he didn't charge back, and that's the minimum. That's the least I would have expected him to bust a gut to try and make up for that situation, and he didn't do that. I mean, sorry, I think you could look at a few players actually. I looked at, I looked at that kind of goal of leading up to it very closely. And Ray was right. The Norwich were about 25 yards in their half. And, and Aguero had just, he just missed that header, hadn't he? Yeah. He just headed it over, uh, which you would normally expect him to get on target. So uh, they were about 25 yards in their half when the, when, when the ball came out to, I can't remember who, which player it was. But Rodri seemed a little bit slow and he got completely suckered by the ball being flicked over him. As you that, say, was, uh, uh, that was actually Buendia had a great game. Buendia chipped it over Rodri and uh, Steeperman got the hold of it and pre- played it yeah. to, Puk- to Puki. But if you look at Rodri should have been a bit, should have got to that ball first, or at least, as Ray said, done something to impede the Norwich player. Then you've got Otamendi, who's far too high. So Otamendi's, if the ball gets that ball gets played through, Otamendi's no in no position whatsoever to cover it. Stones isn't badly positioned, but Walker is he's stuck stuck with his man. So he's in our Walker's in our half and playing the playing the other the guys on the other side, Steeperman and Pookie on side. So you can look at you can say Roger shouldn't have got caught. Otamendi was out of position and, and Walker w- wasn't holding the line, the high line. The other way, and of course Walker so this, Walker went for Pookie and and left Cantwell free. Well, didn't well, that's he? right, and, and then um, Stones also let Pookie go uh, early in that move. Stones, who who wasn't badly positioned, he let Pookie get away from him. He, he just stood still for a, you know a second while Pookie got an extra four or five yards. So Stones didn't cover himself in glory, but perhaps we can excuse him the fact that he's a bit rusty. And then Walker was keeping pace with Cantwell. But then, as Pook is bearing down on Aderson, he comes across, so he leaves Canwell completely free. But now, Otamendi was behind Pookie. Edison was covering it. Walker sh- should have either stayed where he was, or at least, if he's coming across, cut the line to Canwell. You know, cover that, 
pass. But he did. He, when Pookie played that ball, Walker was in no man's land. He was neither challenging Pookie or covering Cantwell. So I don't think he had a choice, personally. I, I, he had to come across to try and block the shot. Um, I, I, no, I, I, no I, don't, I think he had a choice. His choice was he, he should have been aware of the danger and, and at least covered. Pookie's coming down. Edison's coming out to meet him. If Pookie takes a second, Otamendi catches him. I mean, one option was Otamendi just fouls him because uh, if Walker's there, Walker's the last man, Otamendi could have brought Pookie down if he could reach him. I'm, I'm reluctant to blame the last man. You know, obviously, if it was Virgil van Dijk, you know, he'd have been able to cover all the angles re- regularly told. I just think it was a very difficult situation where if you stay on Cantwell, then Pookie's clear on goal. You've got to assess where the danger is. And right there and then, if Pookie's approaching the edge of the box, the danger is Pookie. Uh, the danger is he's going to have a shot, an unimpeded shot, no one there to block it or anything. And for me, as a, uh, I used to play as a defender, that's where I would consider the danger to be. Yes, there's danger behind me as well, but I think the guy on the ball is the most dangerous. And if I realise that no one else is going to be able to get to him, then it's my job to come across and hope that someone will cover my back. If Walker stayed on Campwell and Pook had come into the box and scored, what would Walker's excuse be? That I was marking Cantwell. Well, you know, you were the only person who could have stopped Pookie having a shot. If Walker didn't go to Pookie, I think Pookie would have had a shot. So Walker was basically caught between two stools. He had no choice. That's my opinion. Guys, I've got an opinion as well. I've not been able to get anybody to join me in it over the last three seasons. <laughs> but um, there is this concept of deliberate practice, Colin, where if you are getting regular practice at defending, you tend to be quite good at it. And if you don't get any practice at defending, then when you need to defend, then you're, you're not sharp and fit for purpose. City don't really get a lot of practice at defending. So is this surprising at all that they get caught out like that? Well, it is to me, because I think I've made the point before that one of the things I read when Pep uh, took on the job at City, I read a very detailed article about his methods, and one of those was about defending. Now, of course, we're not going to be defending a lot of the time, or we shouldn't be defending a lot of the time, but we should be organised when we have to defend. I say I disagree with that. I think that second goal of Norwich's showed all the things, that little things that point to me to a lack of organisation. I know it's the, but it's so so either Pep's not coaching it. So I agree with you. Yeah, we don't get a lot of practice in defending, but we should know what to do when we have to. And and either Pep's not coaching it or the players aren't listening because I, I'm not seeing what I thought we would be getting from a Pep defensive unit. Now, no, obviously we're not bus parkers. We're not uh, Van Gaal or you know managed by Van Gaal or Mourinho or someone like that. We're, we're always going to have far more men forward than we've got back, but. There's still a way of doing things, and it, it seems, and I've said this before, I've seen it at games, we seem to go into headless chicken mode when a, a team is running at us. I just imagine the role of a coach to be saying to the players, you should be here, you should be doing that, you should be doing that. And I just don't see it when we're in defensive mode. Well, guys, it didn't look entirely hopeless because we did have that coming up towards the end of the uh, first half. We had Sterling heading against the post and then Sergio pulled it out of the fire a little bit for us on the 45th minute, Ray. That was nice, wasn't it? Yes, it was. I think it was more of a a trademark City movement, passing the ball around the pitch uh, from one side to the other. Uh, Ball ended up on the left-hand side for Bernardo to cross. Sergio... Uh, was unmarked and just glanced the ball into the corner. 
It's, it's a funny old thing because that was actually a good cross um, when there was space in the box. Far too often, I felt, we were putting crosses in, which I call them just hit and hope, putting them high crosses in for Sergio Aguero, who's, what, five foot nine or something, for Raheem Sterling or Bernard. I don't know. I, I just didn't see the purpose of these high crosses. But Sergio got his goal. At that point, he thought, yes, you know, we've got the goal that we needed, you know, uh, second half will come out all guns blazing and we'll turn this game around at two and a half time. You thought uh, it was back in our, our hands, so to speak. We, we could control our own destiny in this game by uh, putting forward a, a good second half and wrestle control from Norwich and go on to a nice, comfortable victory. That's what everyone thought was going to happen, uh, Colin Savage. But um, we talked in the first half uh, about whether we saw what was going to happen, whether that was going to happen, whether we saw it coming. And we saw it coming immediately at the beginning of the second half because before Pukki scored on the 50th minute, there was also this dodgy pass for Otamendi Stones. He got blocked and dispossessed by Pukki. And Pukki missed, um, not a sitter exactly, but he missed a, a pretty good chance. And then uh, a few minutes later, then you had the issue of uh, Buendia again. Mr. Good Day, that translates as robbing Otamendi. Very, very disappointing. I mean that expert on uh, on Sky who said that you wouldn't see that from a Sunday league team. Otamendi dawdling and uh, got robbed by Buendia. It's interesting that one, guys, because Otamendi dawdling on the ball like that, you would have thought that that would have been something that you wouldn't get in a pep team. I haven't seen it for a while. What did you think? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, this is Otto, as we said before, this is Otamendi, isn't it? And to a certain degree, he is the successor to Richard Dill, isn't he? Because mm. he'll have 89 minutes of, you know, throwing his body in front of the ball and then, you know, one minute of absolute stupidity. But twice within a few seconds, we got that moment of stupidity. As you say, uh, first of all, he sold Stone short with a, a weak ball across the field to him. Now, fortunately, Pukki didn't catch, you know, he, he, he scuffed his shot, caught it badly. So from the goal kick, obviously, we're playing the ball in the area. So Stones has got the ball, plays the ball across to Otamendi. And, and the Norwich player comes in to close Otamendi down. And you can see Stones pointing to Edison, saying, give it back to him. And Otamendi just stands there, just kind of almost like almost has like an attack of narcolepsy. Uh, and the Norwich player just takes it off his foot and pulls it back. And, and also, uh, Mac- I criticise Stones a little bit in that situation, not not for the build-up. He's not watching the danger from Pukki. You know, when Otamendi gets robbed, Stones' natural reaction is to move towards Edison rather than, again, it's like what we said about Walker before for the second goal. Rather than assess the danger and, and kind of think calmly about what might happen, you know, all, all, the, all the possible outcomes, he moves away from Pukki again, which he did for the second goal. So, so Pukki's just got uh, got all the time in the world, and, and Stones actually just gets in Edison's way when Pukki puts his shot in. Though, so again, it's about for me anyway. Perhaps I'm being hypercritical, but for me, it's about thinking. It's about thinking what's happened, what what's the outcomes here, what you know, what might the player with the ball do? All right, you know, he might have a shot of goal, but Edison's there. He might square it to Pukki. So I've got to watch for that ball. I've got to cut that passing line out, and he didn't do that. It's exactly the sort of thing you would see on a Sunday league team. But I, I always remember being at primary school at where we'd all chase the ball. You know, no one would think to actually move away from the ball. Everyone would, would kind of chase after the ball. And Stones just did that instinctively, ran towards the ball instead of assessing the danger and cutting out the passing lines. I'm going to ask 
It was, was William Pitt the Younger Prime Minister when you were at primary school? Uh, no, <laughs> not quite. I, I just missed him. I've got to, I've got to say, I've got to ask, what would you have John Stones do if Ottoman is being robbed when Diaz got the ball, has come through, um, there's only Edison to, to be, okay, the angle is, is maybe not the best, but if you don't go to him, then he can do what he likes and shoot against your keeper. And you'll be standing there marking Stones wasn't wasn't going to get there. Stones was never going to get there. So it was always going to be one against one in that situation. It was going to be Edison against the Norwich player who had the ball. So it was always going to be Edison on Buenadier. So I say Stones' instinct was to close in. He would never, ever have got to that ball. Otamendi was nearer. Perhaps I'm being critical, perhaps. You know, I, I, I'm thinking on a different plane to someone who's panicking. But I, I, again, I watched that goal carefully through a few times. And Stones is watching the ball. He's not looking behind him to see where the danger is. And he's not going to get to that ball. So there's no point in him going over to cover it because he's never going to get there. But he's left Pookie completely unmarked and giving him a, basically a free ride. It's all happening in a split second. But as a professional player... and, and and we said Stones is a bit rusty, but as a professional football player, you, you've got to keep these things in mind. There is a question that's been asked on Twitter about, I know Ray is going to jump to the defence of John Stones, I can feel it in my bones here. It's, it's four seasons now, in his fourth season under Pep, and uh, there is a question about whether John Stones is going to make it, uh, basically on the evidence, not only of this game, it's not much evidence at all, but on the evidence of last season when he was distrusted and company came in. At at one point, everyone was going crazy about this uh, John Stones-Laporte combination, but there is a question about whether Stones is going to make it under Pep and whether this, someone said, might be his last season with City. What do you think? I'm not going to let you down, Mike, uh, (laughs) about John Stones. The thing is, some players, if they've got problems, I'm only guessing here if you've got problems in your personal life some players can put them to the back of their mind i'll give you one example david silva in the centurion season something unimaginable going on with his uh, baby boy you know you can't you know unless you've been through it yourself you can't imagine what torment he's going through Um, but he said when he's on the pitch he didn't you know he just thought about football and then when he was off the pitch he thought about his life and not everybody can be the same. Some people, they'll take their emotional baggage, let's say, onto the pitch. So if you're having a problem in your personal life, then maybe it will affect you during a game of football. Yes, Stonesy has to do something because I think for the last two seasons, I felt in the first half of the season, he was very, very good. Um, and then he gets injured and he comes back and he's not the same player and he struggles to get back in that team and keep a place there. He makes mistakes. Someone said to me yesterday, uh, Stone needs two or three games um, to get up to speed. Uh, I've not noticed that myself, but I don't want to uh, cast him aside. I, I still think he's young enough and good enough, I hope, to be able to to come good. But at some point, you know, you've got to uh, say it's about time you started to, to deliver on a much more consistent basis. We, as I said, we don't know what the, the reasons are for his lapses of concentration, um, whether it's it's something that he's not going to eradicate or it's that he's bringing personal problems onto the pitch or, or, or who knows what the, what the reasons are. The only thing I would sort of say to counter that, Colin, is that the Everton fans, when we bought him and, uh, you know, they did make quite a few pointed comments, I can distinctly recall, particularly regarding the price that we paid, that this, this wasn't, this was systemic in Stones' game. It wasn't a 
an occasional thing. It wasn't to do with uh, returning from an injury. He's got this. This is part of his his game. He's he's got ricks in him that are going to come just like Otamendi has, and that's why the pair of them together don't inspire a lot of confidence, Colin. Mm, yeah, maybe. I, I tend to agree with Ray that. It, you know, I, I've been a bit critical of Chilton Stones in this pod, but I think you've got to give him a, f- a few games to get back up to speed. We've got to give him a few de- games because uh, basically him and Otamendi are all we've got at the back at the moment uh, in terms of first choice defenders. But but it's an interesting, it's an intriguing one, isn't it? Because hey, Laporte's been here now 18 months and he's a shoo-in at centre-back. And Stones, as we've said, is there's a fear that he's not pushing on. And you look at, and under Pep, you've got to push on. There's no doubt about it. Pep's takes mm. you. Pep's teams go to another level. Under Pep, you've got to move on. And and we've seen, say, from Raheem Sterling, he's shown the mentality uh, to move on. We've seen it from Sergio Aguero. He's a elite striker, but he's shown the mentality to to move forward. Uh, you know, and we've seen it from other players as well, Fernandinho. But you know, it's still. A question mark over whether John Stone has got that extra 10%. Can he move to the 2050 level? I, I, we're going to have to see it this, the first half of the season, aren't we? If, if he's going to. Well, guys, listen, we're being very, very hard, of course, on individual players. And we don't want to be, as Paul Lake uh, came out on Twitter and uh, accused a lot of City fans of being knee-jerk warriors. But uh, we're probably not giving enough credit to uh, Norwich. Now, guys, here's a little theory. Everyone was going on about the fact that uh, Norwich had suffered a total of 11 losses to their squad, not their starting 11. I think there were there would there would be four people out that could have expected to start. Um, a few of those players would normally have been on the bench for Norwich, judging by the lineups at the beginning of the season. But it seemed, Ray, that... People were saying, "Well, we'll look at what Norwich could have done to City if they had their 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 first eleven out." But that the 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 incomings played out of their skin, and that would be probably their that would probably be be their best team. I would say those guys, you know, that started the season and are arguably first choice, could end up on the bench after that. Well, I, I don't know, Mike. I mean, um, it, it it could just be a one-off. It could just be that for this one game, in fact, the manager got things right in, in, in tactics and systems and setup. The players played out of their skin to get that that result. You know, um, I mean, some of the the notes I'd made, I, I said they were hardworking, committed, resolute, and clinical. They took their chances when they got them. Something that we weren't. And I, but as I said, they worked really, really hard all over the pitch. And it was like it's. For some of them, it was like uh, some of these, let's say the second string players, it was like, look, uh, Mr. Fat, this is what I can do. I deserve to start. And maybe it spurred them on. You know, the I think it was just something that I read yesterday or today that it's all about money, really. But um, I think there's only one player in the City squad that costs less than the rest of the Norwich squad combined. So basically all the City players individually were worth more than the Norwich players combined, apart from, I think, Zinchenko, that was it. I've got to say something that Pep said. I, I mean, I'm just reading something uh, that, that Pep said uh, in defending the City squad. It's quite unusual. I don't know if you've seen this yet. It only came out in about the last half an hour. But I, I think it's an, an important quote. He said, they gave me all the prestige I have in England. The first season when it was fraud Guardiola, fraudiola. These players gave me the prestige that I have. And now people say how good a manager I am. So it's for them, not for me. So he's defending the City squad after this um, poor result. 
Yeah, he also said, "Congratulations, Liverpool! You are now champions." So he's <laughs> he's, he's he's got the um, he's, he's got the sarcasm down as well. I didn't realise that he twigged onto his name for Fraudiola. Yeah. But anyway, guys, um, it was too late, of course, on the 88th minute. But it was a a lovely strike from uh, Rodri for his first goal there, Colin. Uh, yeah, it was a very beautifully placed shot. Remind me a bit of um, Mario Balotelli's against United in the six-one. No, it wasn't a hit hard, but it was just perfectly placed. It was actually. I, I'm forgetting something. Of course, um, we did have a chance. Uh, I think it was before that. Sterling to the back stick and Otamendi. Um, you yes. thought they had a great chance to make up for his error, but it was a a great save by. It was cru- a great save. Yeah, by, yeah, yeah. By cruel, or perhaps we could pronounce I, that cruel. But um, yeah, and uh, after that, of course, uh, in the in the dying minutes, we had three, we great, had three chances. Three great yeah, chances: Aguero, <laughs> Jesus, and Sterling. They all wriggled through through nicely, but there was not no real power in the shots, Colin. No, uh, I, I noted that. So uh, no, we still could have got a point, or even you know, if we scored one goal, I'm not sure we'd go on to get more. But we, you know, we still could and should have got a point out of that game, despite how uh, disappointing we were generally. Whether we'd have deserved it is another matter, but. Um, you know, if one of those catches, one of those shots, and Aguero and Jesus, you'd imagine, would would have done better, then uh, you know we get a point out of that. Now, a point's not really, not really fantastic, but it's better than no points, of course. Other things that we haven't talked about, or any other conclusions that you would like to draw? Uh, well, obviously, on social media, you had the usual meltdown. Uh, people forget that this is the first league game we've lost in two hundred and twenty-eight days. Apparently, um, that's. You know, cast aside, um, people clamouring for Foden and saying he's better than uh, World Cup winner Ilke Gundogan. People having a real blast at Pep. I can't call these City fans. People having a blast at Otamendi, John Stones, Carl Walker, Zinchenko, uh, pretty much uh, most of the team. You can be disappointed, you know, and most of these people are, are armchair warriors who watched it on the telly. Um, and the City fans at the ground, we were disappointed. But um, we were singing probably some of the you know loudest you'd hear, and we lost the game. So we were in support of, of the team, and yes, there were a few disgruntled um, people. Uh, there was a chap next to my young lad who ripped the seat, ripped the plastic seat out, and he was only restrained by uh, uh, the guy on the other side of me. Yeah, very very silly. I mean, he would have he'd have been banned quite probably for life if he'd launched at the, the uh, home fans. Um, and I, I think um, he was very lucky that um, uh, you know my son had noticed that this had happened. The guy on the other side of me, a friend of mine, also called Ray, uh, had noticed this, and he just stopped him and took this, uh, what was left of the seat uh, off him. So I mean that it's just stupid. I mean you know so you've got the people trolling on 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 social media. You've got some idiots, minority, but some idiots who you know who just can't take getting beat. And it's the first loss in the league, I repeat, in 228 games. So it is ridiculous. And people saying, you know, Pep has to pick Ford and, and, and Gundogan's useless and um, Otamendi's all sorts of names. It, it, it's, it's, it's totally wrong. And, you know, personally, I, 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 I want to give Norwich the credit. It wasn't just that City turned up and played badly. Norwich played well. They were set up properly. Uh, you know, they, they got it right uh, against City. Double teaming our wingers whenever, and they were snapping into you know and really putting pressure into tackles. And they want. I said very early on, it looked like they wanted it more, and that's 
criminal in football. You know, you, you can't show your class unless you deserve to show your class. And I don't think for long periods in that game, we didn't deserve to show our class. And we got what we deserved from that game, which was nothing. Well, it was nicely summarised by an account on Twitter, whose Twitter name is Red But Never Red. And he talks about the incredulity and delight surrounding City's loss to Norwich, Pep's first Premier League defeat in 228 days. It's a bit of a backhanded compliment from the rest of the country because, as he says, a City defeat is as rare as seeing Lord Lucan riding Shergar, Colin. Well, funny enough, I did see him and Elvis out today on um, <laughs> Shergar and Red Rum, but... Um... Yeah, I, I, I read what I've read is David Walker. I know David quite yeah. well. And uh, it's funny because David was, um, he tweeted something about a girl um, who went off to fight, went off to Turkey, uh, Begum, being sneaked back into the UK. And I said, well, you know, it's a great time to do it because everyone's talking about city losing. So it's a great day to bury bad news like that. And it's amazing, really, you know, when it's not that long ago it really isn't that long ago and you know i hate harking back to old the olden days but it shows how far we've come as a club in that uh, a defeat at norwich actually you know we haven't lost at norwich for quite some time in the league but you know a defeat against a uh, a newly promoted team is is like headline news you know it's on all the news bulletins it's it's you know all over the press and you know it's the it's the lead article on the bbc sport and and this is manchester city who you know we, we almost didn't, you know, a few years ago, we didn't care about the result, almost, as long as we had a good day out. But I think what contributes to this, Colin, and I'm going to bring in Ray here as well, as we move on to talk about some of the other results. Red, but never Red, said that it's uh, City defeat is as rare as seeing Lord Lucan riding Shergar. But I think also as rare as seeing Lord Lucan riding Shergar is a Liverpool loss. I mean, they just, they've started off pretty much like they started off uh, the season before, and uh, they beat Newcastle pretty easily. Did you watch that one at all, Ray? I watched a, a little bit. Well, <laughs> I saw my son to watch it whilst we were driving down to Norwich. So whenever something happened, I would stop and watch the high highlights of what had happened. He was watching it on, on my phone. Uh, and then uh, if there was a goal, then I, I, I was listening to the commentary through the speakers and he was watching it on the phone. Uh, and at 2-1, uh, that's when I said, that's enough. Uh, let's put some music on. Um, because uh, once Liverpool had got ahead, there was no way uh, they were going to let that go. Newcastle aren't good enough, in my opinion. I think they'll be fighting against relegation uh, this season. Uh, and Liverpool, look, um, you know, people keep thinking they're going to bottle it. Uh, I think they got the monkey off the back. If they'd not won the Champions League and if they'd won nothing last season, I think that would have haunted them uh, to get 97 points, win nothing. Um, now they've got that that trophy um, after spending £400 million. Two trophies, um, Ray, two trophies. The Super Cup. You can't in the Super Cup. <laughs> they the, would. Community, the Super Community Shield Cup. That's the one you... Okay, fair enough. Two trophies under, under her clock. Um, and, but I think that's now they're in that they're in that position where I think they can go better than last year. And uh, you know, I'm I'm not a closet Liverpool fan. I've got no uh, soft feelings for them at all. But I just uh, look at reality. They're pulling out results. Yes, we, people keep saying, "Look, what's going to happen if they lose a couple of their strikers?" Well, you know, Firmino didn't start the game uh, yes yesterday. Uh, it was Origi. And okay, he got injured and Firmino came on, but they still had enough to, uh, to to win that quite, I think, quite comfortably. 
I think they'll they're going to go obviously very deep into the season. There's no one else in the, in this title race, quite honestly. Uh, no one's within a country mile of City in uh, Liverpool. Uh, and uh, right now, with the injury to Emery Laporte, I just want us to be hanging in there and come to the turn of the year when Laporte might be coming back. At least, you know, within spitting distance. Is that called Jimmy Carragherism? Within spitting distance of Liverpool. Colin Savage, Manchester United won Leicester City nil. Uh, I did watch that game, actually, and uh, United were distinctly unim- unimpressive and got a penalty which was somewhat dubious. United weren't great. They won on a penalty. They aren't going to trouble. I mean, they've been a bit lucky because the, the teams that could have caught them, Arsenal and Everton with the other one, uh, both dropped points. So we're kind of reliant on... Um, I think West Ham can overtake them if they win tomorrow night. But um, they, they don't look fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they look very average. Ray, Tottenham Hotspur 4, Crystal Palace nil. What are your thoughts about that one? Uh, well, I've not seen any of the highlights of any of the games, obviously. Rolling in at 2 o'clock this morning is a bit late for match of the day. And I was out early again. So, But it was, was it 4-0 at half-time, wasn't it? I was trying to keep on track of, uh, of yeah. the scores uh, as I was driving down. Look, I mean... Palace are usually quite uh, dogged in defence. They don't. I don't think they get smashed um, very often. But Spurs are a hot and cold team. Um, they, they can do that to to almost anybody apart from the top six. So, but I think Spurs, for my in my opinion, are just flattering to deceive. Uh, I think they've got you know it, it's was some something something like was it their sixth win in sixteen league games? So it's not brilliant. It's not brilliant form. You know. They'll be top four at the end of the season, I believe, and that's the, as good as it'll get. Arsenal have thrown away a two-goal lead. You know, they they, they wanted uh, Arsene Wenger out. They've got Emery. And now there's talk that Emery's not the right man. I, I saw someone on... It's quite funny, actually. I saw someone on Twitter say, Emery's level is Valencia severe. There's a guy on Twitter, uh, uh, Cerebrone, Cerebrone, and he wrote... A Spanish guy's a Valencia fan. And he wrote a very good piece about City at the end of last season, saying, you know, talking about the money and everything like that, you should be admiring what, what Pep's doing at City uh, and the way City are playing. He was saying, yeah, but Emery went in to, uh, I think, Sevilla, and he got them challenging for titles. Or, you know, or obviously it's very difficult to challenge for titles in Spain against Barcelona and Real Madrid. But, you know, he moved Sevilla forward in a league, which, which is not, a, you know, it's not a peasant's you know, or, or you know, a plumbers and and um, van drivers league. I've always said about Arsenal. I mean, they're sort of moving in the right direction, but there's still a lot of work to do to get them to be a, an automatic top four team. Midfield seems to be coming together a little bit. They're obviously quite frightening in attack, but they're still rubbish in defence. <laughs> Ray, tell uh, our listeners a little bit about your impromptu interview with Chiki Begiristan. I wouldn't call it an interview. I had a chat with him uh, <laughs> off the record. Impromptu, impromptu. Impromptu. There's obviously no chance of getting him on the record. I did ask. But he was basically, what's the right word, corroborating what I, I, I've been saying from, uh, for, for a while. And I'm sure we've said it on uh, on the podcast, on Ball from the Blue podcast, and on, on my uh, channel, City Fan TV, that we've got 17 non-homegrown players. And to bring in anybody else who's non-homegrown, we have to leave somebody out. And he asked, who are we going to leave out? You know, we've got two people who are injured, Emeric Laporte and Leroy Sane. But and he, he said by January, they could be fit, or almost fit. So do you throw one of them under the bus and say, well, you know, 
Um, we're not going to include you. We're going to bring somebody else in and we're going to exclude you from, from the squad because you're, you won't be fit till midway through February. I, I just don't see it happening. The one interesting thing to me is, without looking at the rest of the makeup of our squad, he was just talking about non-homegrown players. And I, I was talking about uh, centre-backs, posing the question that other City fans had posed to me or said on uh, on social media. And he talked about a non-homegrown player. He never said anything about, well, we could get a centre-back who's a homegrown player, such as Nathan Ake. He was just focused on non-homegrown players. So my reading of that is, we're not looking, if we are looking at centre-backs, we're not looking at any homegrown centre-backs. We're looking at non-homegrown centre-backs, reading between the lines. No, I think, um, just to pick up on what Ray said, actually, uh, to add another angle to it, there's been a lot of criticism on social media about us not buying cover for Vincent Company in the summer. Uh, I think a lot of it is down to cash, to be honest, because what, despite what people say, um, we are meant to be self-sufficient. We paid out the money for Rodri. We obviously borrowed money during the summer against future TV revenues. So, you know, we're not reliant or we're not expecting Sheikh Mansour to cough up whatever money we want. You know, we've got to work within a budget. The only time that money's been put in was to fund the purchase of Laporte, where we had to pay his release clause, 58 million up front. We had to have that money. So the money came in from Abu Dhabi to pay that. That's not a financial fair play problem, actually, by the way, because it's um, it's a balance sheet transaction, not a revenue transaction. So basically, uh, Sheikh Mansour wrote us a cheque for $58 million, went in our bank account, and it went straight out to wherever we got it from. Athletic. Athletic Bay Bayo, yeah. But on the whole, that was a special situation. On the whole, we have to live within our means. And as I say, our means are far more considerable or, or on a par with the, the other top clubs, or, or even more so. Uh, I think we generate about uh, 150 million free cash a season. But that, that's after paying wages and operating expenses, but before not taking into account player amortisation. But that cash has to go, you know, that's the cash we have to buy players with and, and to build infrastructure. So... I think there's a genuine there's a genuine issue there, and I think a lot of the cash that we generate is actually being used to prop up the rest of the group because that 150 million is probably not ours to spend, not all ours to spend. So you know th- there is a restriction, I think, on what we can spend. We had to answer the priority, and you could say there were two priorities. One was to replace Fernandinho or, or to provide backup to Fernandinho, and the other was to provide a replacement to company. And clearly. City thought that the higher priority was the backup to Fernandinho. And so far, they've not been wrong. I mean, Rodri's um, settled in really well, hasn't he? But you know, uh, we couldn't have anticipated the injury to Laporte, could we? Sorry, Sorry. let's finish off, uh, Ray, with reasons to be cheerful. I'm looking at uh, the lyrics of the beautiful song by Ian Jury and the Blockheads. Reasons to be cheerful, part one, Ray. We've got Guardiola. reasons to be cheerful part two colin savage we're still second and we've not even remotely got into third gear yet have we let alone fourth gear or overdrive so you know it it will come good it's about a test of mentality isn't it because this is what we feared last season that the players having won the title and what we saw with pellegrini and mancini that the players having won the title would sit rest on the backsides a little bit they didn't do that last season and I'm sure they're not going to do it this season. You know, it's taken. I think we all imagine they they come out of the international break and snap into what we regard as city mode. But that will come. And finally, Ray, reasons to be cheerful. Part three. Part three. We, uh, we start the Champions League next week, so 
Uh, we're going to start playing games every three or four days. The week after, we've got Preston in the Carabao Cup. So we're going to see, I suspect, Ben Mendy coming back quite possibly this month. We might see Cancello this month. We might even see Angelino. I think everybody's going to get start getting run out. We'll see Phil yep. Foden. So we've got a lot of exciting young players to look forward to, I think, this, this coming month. Okay, Blues, that's enough for us for now. We'll be right back with you after our opening Champions League tie against Shakhtar Donetsk. So until then, have one on us and up the Blues. Reasons to be cheerful, part three. One, two, three. Summer buddy Holly, the working folly, good golly Miss Millie and boats. Hammersmith Pally, the Bolshoi Bally, jump back in the alley, add nanny goats. 80 miller scammels, Dominica camels, all other mammals plus equal boats. Seeing Piccadilly, Fanny Smith and Willie, being rather silly and porridge oats. I bet you'll grin and bear it, I bet you come and share it. You're welcome, we can spare it. Yellow socks, too short to be haughty, too nutty to be naughty. Going on fruity, no electric shots. The juice of the carrot, the smile of the parrot, a little drop of parrot, anything that works. Elvis and Scotty, plays when I ain't spotty, sitting on the pillow, curing smallpox. Reasons to be cheerful. Why don't you get back into bed? 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 Why don't you get back into bed?